hello and welcome to TXF's uh, podcast. My, I'm Catherine Morton, Head of Trade, Treasury and Risk at TXF, and I'm joined here today by Stephen Renner, who's Chief Banking Officer at Export-Import Bank of the United States, for a little chat about what Exim's response is around the COVID uh, situation. So hi, Steve. Um, so it's been a, a, a bit of a baptism of fire for a fully uh, reauthorized Exim. How are you guys dealing with the crisis? Well, certainly uh, we're responding to the needs of our existing clients as quickly as possible and also putting into position lending capabilities that will help foreign buyers and U.S. exporters to be able to continue to transact throughout uh, the coronavirus shutdown period to the extent there is trade going on. And then certainly as we re-engage after the crisis economically, we're trying to fill the financing breach that is being left by the private capital markets who've had to retreat. So do you sort of, are you regarding yourself as a little bit like a lender of last resort? Um... Well, you know, lender of last resort is the wrong term, I think, to describe XM or perhaps any other export credit agency, it's, it's not a matter of resort. It's a matter usually that for some reason, the private sector either is unwilling to finance something or it, it simply can't finance something at a certain time. So there might be a particular transaction that, it w- that a bank would normally want to finance, but they may be filled up on that type of risk at that point in time. So certainly we do not interfere with the private capital markets. We're very conscious about that. And it's a requirement uh, of XM that we do not interfere with the private capital markets, but we work with them really. So to call, kind of call us as the lender of last resort, it's, we're more of, of a facilitator to the private capital markets so they can function uh, more fully and more effectively on behalf of foreign buyers. So what kind of support are you offering for smaller companies uh, and also the bigger ones? Uh, what, what special services are you offering at the moment? Yeah, for, uh, with respect to, to smaller companies, uh, first, if they are an existing client of ours, in other words, they're using either our export credit insurance or they are using a working capital loan that we have uh, provided a guarantee to, For both of these products, we're essentially providing extensions of time for repayment, longer time in which to file information, quicker payment of claims under our insurance policy, and just general accommodation and flexibility with our existing client base. Going forward for small businesses, one of the, there are two very important sort of modified products that we have rolled out. Uh, The first is with respect to our working capital loans that we guarantee for lenders to provide to U.S. exporters so they can have the capital needed to fulfill their export orders. The eligible collateral for that normally under our working capital loan program are their accounts receivable and export related inventory. So that's all they can use as the qualifying basis for what they can borrow against them for a working capital loan. We are expanding that collateral base to include purchase orders and also to include any inventory that is potentially export related. 
So this gives the, the U.S. exporter a lot more breadth uh, as to what it can use for collateral purposes on working capital loans. Uh, also, we've added to that purchase orders, not just accounts receivable. And we have recently provided a new pricing structure for working capital loans that one provides better visibility for the exporter to understand how this is priced. And secondly, also reduces the cost to most exporters by about 10 basis points. Uh, and another product that we've put out there that will help small businesses is what's called supply chain finance guarantees. And basically in a supply chain finance facility, this is where essentially you've got a bank that has made a working capital loan to an exporter. The exporter has a stream of suppliers that are providing goods and services in order for it to, uh, to produce the exported item. Usually these, uh, these suppliers are on 60, 90 day payment terms with their exporter. Uh, in a normal liquid functioning marketplace where the suppliers are, have other business, they have access to some lines of credit, uh, they can wait the 30, 60, 90 days to get paid by their exporter. In this liquidity stressed environment that we're in right now, these suppliers need any kind of liquidity they can get immediately. So a, a supply chain finance facility allows the suppliers in the supply chain to present their accounts receivables that they have from the exporter directly to the bank. The bank will pay them immediately at a discounted amount, but essentially uh, pay the suppliers so they don't have to wait the 30, 60 day, 90 terms in order to get paid. This also pr uh, provides relief to the exporter who in a liquidity stressed environment like we're in also is having a hard time getting liquidity to make those accounts receivable payments. Uh, so it also can be given more time in which to make those payments. So it's a form of, of liquidity stress relief for exporters and their supply chain. Um, we are working with a number of banks to uh, essentially provide guarantees to these uh, supply chain facilities that uh, that they can create. That's that's fascinating. I was talking to a bank earlier on today, and he was saying that that, that a lot of these pools will start drying up for the supply chain finance programs. That uh, that the when, when people, manufacturers aren't manufacturing and, and payers aren't aren't paying, uh, that you can't have receivables finance or payables finance. So. Um, I guess on the export side, this 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 sort of relief will be will be uh, of, of of great interest. Are you dealing directly with the banks on this, or is it with the suppliers yes. themselves? No, the banks because they're the ones that will provide the facility to to the suppliers. You know, really, our goal with all that what we're doing, Catherine, is to prevent this liquidity crisis uh, from becoming a solvency crisis for those in the exporter community in, in the U.S. We want we need to inject as much liquidity as we can to them. We're doing it also through our small business uh, loan program that was passed as part of our $2 trillion emergency uh, response legislation. So this is just another way uh, for the, the U.S. government to facilitate payments directly to suppliers immediately. Are you likely to be... Uh, it as a way of easing business for uh, larger companies that are also exporting, who are foreign companies but are ex 
exporting from the US? Uh, will you be uh, relaxing content requirements? For instance, the maritime administration rules given COVID? That's a very good question. At this time, no. These are two policies, our US export content and our maritime requirements. And basically for, for your audience, our maritime requirements say that uh, for exports over $20 million, they must be shipped if they are shipped by sea on US flagged vessels. Um, so there's uh, you know, an additional cost factor and availability factor in that shipping so it can make exporting more expensive. And then of course the US content requirement of 85% US export content is you know, another uh, high bar that exporters have to clear in order for us to engage. Certainly this is, these are two issues that need to be examined in the context of how we provide relief in this COVID environment. At this stage, these are not two issues that we are going to modify. Uh, if things continually to devolve, we'll have to you know, look at all potential options and, and cross that bridge when we get to it. What about the logistical challenges you're actually facing processing requests uh, for trade credit, etc.? That must be a, a pretty big ask for you guys at the moment. Um, you've, you've, you've recently been restaffing. Uh, is, it, is it physically difficult for you for you to be? Uh, doing this at this stage? You know, fortunately, it's not. I will say we have a tremendous team here, very capable. Yes, we are stretched a little thin, but nevertheless, we can also leverage what we do uh, uh, through uh, the private sector. And an example of that is uh, for our Exim insurance, most of that is actually executed by brokers. For a lot of our working capital loans, we provide, we have agreements with, with many, many banks that they're, uh, they basically are allowed to execute uh, working capital loans in accordance with the, uh, an agreement that we have with them on how that, those can be done. Uh, so th from a volume standpoint, we have uh, assistance from the private sector. And then when we are dealing with our medium and long-term lending, we always have to work directly with the lender, the foreign buyer and the exporter. So nothing's really changing in that regard. We have canvassed our existing client base with respect to understanding from them what their liquidity stresses are right now and how we can be accommodative to them. But that's already been done and it's ongoing and we're managing all that. How is it you're actually working through private insurers and how does that actually physically work? It's through brokers. Brokers have agreements with us that if, if they if they help set, uh, sell and execute on an insurance policy, they get a commission. Sure. So they're incentivized to do it. So that's how they get paid. And then uh, other banks that provide working capital loans, you know, want to be able to provide Exim backed, Exim guaranteed working capital loans. So they enter into what's called a master agreement, guarantee agreement with us. For the, the, that basically lays out the terms in which they can execute these working capital loans and qualify for our guarantee. Any any likelihood you'd be working with other ECAs on this? And I know lots of European ECAs do cross uh, guarantees and, and, and insurance of each other. Is that uh, something you'd be investigating? You know, we are keeping tabs on what other ECAs are doing uh, in response to the COVID crisis. 
And I know that our policy departments had some conversations with specific ECAs. So one, we are trying to, first of all, make sure that all ECAs understand what each other are doing in response. So we are aware of, and here's a tool in the toolbox that you're using, and this might be one, it might be one that others can take advantage of within their own ECAs. Secondly, there may be some recommendations to the OECD with respect to how ECAs can function, like have some temporary modifications to uh, current ECA, uh, OECD agreement requirements. Uh, and I know that we're working with other ECAs and in discussions on that. And then I think really where the rubber is going to hit the road is when the econ our economies start re-engaging post-health crisis is that we're all going to have to bring our resources to bear uh, in order to get our respective economies up and running. And USXM has uh, a very strong history of working with other ECAs to co-finance uh, a number of transactions. So while at times we may be competing with each other on behalf of our respective countries, companies that are also many times where we can find opportunities to collaborate. Uh, and we will, we are, and we will be doing that uh, going forward. And more in general, how do you think the crisis itself will change perceptions of export finance support and global trade? Uh, you mentioned more cooperation, but there's also, as you say, competition and to a certain extent, political competition. Uh, how do you think it's going to flush out? You know, I, I think export credit agencies are needed the most when you're in a, a point in the economy where you're in a down cycle and there is a tightening of liquidity. So it's more expensive uh, for companies to be able to borrow. There's a scarcity of capital. Uh, and that's what we have here with this COVID crisis. It's, it's come about because of our own self-imposed our government self-imposing the shutdown of the economy, but nevertheless, the the result is the same as if you know, similar to the liquidity crisis of two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when there's not enough capital to go around, not enough liquidity to go around for uh, companies to function. That's when they turn to the government, where they turn, in the example of trade finance, they turn to the export credit agencies in the United States. They'll turn to to XM to fill that gap where the private sector is not filling, is not there, it's not functioning. And so we're needed more in these down cycles than they are when we're in a normal uh, functioning uh, marketplace from a liquidity standpoint. So I think particularly the, during the reemergence, the reopening of our economies, and we need to start re-engaging, I think it's going to take a while for the banking sector to be able to fully engage in a normalized way. And that's when export credit agencies particularly are going to have to kind of fill the breach until there is that normalization. Right, well, thanks very much indeed. That's also a slightly positive note for, for the ECA sector, if, if nothing else. <laughs> and uh, thanks very much indeed for your, for your contribution. Uh, happy to do so, Catherine.